0: The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology metrics or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes.
1: Welcome to episode 91 of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of leadership and practical love. We are firm believers in the evidence that when people are engaged, growing, and having a purpose in their work, hey, it's a place where they feel loved, and that's really good for business. Glad you could join us. Now, before I introduce today's guest, a quick housekeeping item. If you follow the show weekly, just to let you know that we're going to be taking a break in the month of February. And we'll be back in full swing again in March with some amazing guests. So if you get withdrawals and you need a quick love and action fix, pull up an episode from the archives available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or on my website at marcellschwantes.com. My guest today is executive coach Dan Fox. Dan has coached over 5,000 top executives from America's finest companies, from high techs in the Silicon Valley to promising startups. These CEOs bear all behind closed doors with Dan. And now Dan shares his stories in his latest book, Confessions from the Heart of an Executive Coach. Now, I got to tell you, I can handpick those few conversations I've had that are are truly raw and from the heart and just kind of left you going, whoa, that was a spiritual experience. And this one is no exception. Dan is going to strike a nerve with some of you. And I I truly mean this when I say you may hear some things that are going to cause you to take a hard look at yourself at the things that hold you back. Things that are more in the emotional realm. And you may have to face your past and even confront some demons because Dan has had to have these tough conversations with so many of his executive clients. Now, another thing I noticed after listening to our conversation our recording is that while I've had so many stellar guests give you, you know, great information and and they're informed by by research and they have a good formula for the kind of leadership that they propose, Dan is that rare type of guest that will reach down into the depths of your soul and gently confront you to shift your thinking. There's something else I need to clear up. Every episode, my great production team works extremely hard to make each show top notch in the editing process. Now my call with Dan was over Zoom and 98% of the time, the internet connection on these calls is clear and crisp and there are no hiccups. Well, we had some hiccups in our conversation. And, and typically, I would ask my team to clean it up and edit out those breakups and hiccups in post-production. I thought long and hard about whether to edit those breakups in this conversation I have with Dan. And I decided against it. Because if I did, it would chop off moments of sheer brilliance and authenticity And you would be missing out on some key pointers that could make a difference in your life. So I left those internet breakups in there. There will just be a few. So I'm asking you to just be okay with it. We're all human here. We're not striving for perfection. You know, sometimes things like this will happen. With that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dan Fox. Welcome, Dan, to the Love in Action podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Dan, we um, have
1: a tradition on the show, and we start with the first question, being a gratitude moment. So
0: what makes you smile these days when you get up in the morning? That's a great question. I realize that gratefulness is the result of an action it's not, I wait to become grateful until I feel grateful. And so what makes me smile in the morning when I wake up, I am truly blessed, is I count down a grateful list. I remind myself out loud, and for me, I you know pray and thank God for the fact that I was able to sleep in a warm bed, that I slept under a roof that kept my family dry, that I have food in the refrigerator, and that I have a car out front that has fuel in it, that I have friends that I have opportunities like this one right here to make a difference in the world. And when I get done counting out that list of all the things I'm grateful for, even if I don't feel grateful, I take the action to be grateful. When I do, I wind up feeling grateful and it starts my day fabulous that way.
1: That's great, Dan. It's funny that you say that. I read up a lot on the neuroscience, positive psychology research, and they, they actually say that when you when you start your day off or end your day with a gratitude moment and you have a gratitude list, something as simple as two minutes a day can actually reset your brain to the positive. And the research by, uh, I think it's Sean Acor, he says that it's the quickest way to set your mind to optimism, to the positive. Two minutes a day for 21 days is what they say is usually the, uh, what it takes to go from negative to positive. And kind of just, you know, flip your brain around. I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I'm talking to myself, I know that in that moment, the most important person's listening is me. And so when I'm speaking, my, my subconscious mind is taking it in and influences my emotion whenever I speak to it.
1: Yeah, well, we can do a whole episode on the get- <laughs> gratitude alone. But listen, the book is fascinating. It's got all these confessions. And I mean, it's the book the, it's in the title, Confessions. Oh from the heart of an executive coach. So what's
0: the big idea behind the book? The big idea behind the book is that most people are striving to matter, be accepted, be promoted, uh, get respect. They want to be successful in their heart. And the thing that usually stops what I intuitively feel is 95%, 98% of the people in the world is fear, fear of going for it, fear of allowing themselves to dream about a more brilliant future. And actually see it visually so that their heart swells and they feel passion because the ego inside of me, inside of all of us says, oh, wait, if you get excited about that, you may just be setting yourself up for disappointment. So don't go there, you know, just see how it turns out, you know, go through life. And so the, the root of the book is the fact of super heightened levels of personal passion leverages commitment and commitment drives my words, actions and behaviors. My words, action, behaviors always define my outcome. So if I want to change my outcome, the only lever I have in me is the thoughts that I allow myself to think. And so I'm going to think about the positive. I'm going to think about the potential. I'm going to dare to dream about it. So my passion grows really large and everything else falls into place after that.
1: Talk about pivoting. I mean, we're talking about psychology here. Well, in a sense, psychology is definitely at play, but maybe it's a, even uh, spirituality and uh, perhaps your values mm-hmm. or re- reinventing yeah. your values or kind of finding yourself and, yeah. and your true north and then operating from that perspective. We were talking offline. You got, you've amassed crazy coaching hours, 50,000-plus hours, coaching some of the biggest you know, top executives all over the world. Mm-hmm. I, if I was to boil down all those hours to – what are some of your biggest learning moments? Like, what did you learn on your end as an executive coach, having coached all these leaders? What would you say that was? What floats to the top?
0: Every one of them is a human being that has an emotional past, emotional baggage and wounds, sometimes from their childhood, Mm. that makes them second-guess themselves, that takes away a little bit of their self-esteem, Even if they may be an overcompensator with arrogance and pride and ego, it's still a cover up for a lack of real self-fulfilling confidence. And so I see tremendous potential in every person I meet. It's just the emotional garbage of our past that is a wet blanket over the top of our potential and has been there for so long. We stop believing we could be great. We stop believing in ourselves. And so the thing, that, the thing that crops up for me is the compassion for each human being and finding them in their desire and struggle to reach their potential. Wow! And it's there, well, it's possible for them.
1: It's funny. And so what you're saying is uh, that sometimes baggage, emotional baggage, things that, that we have not put closure to in our past. I mean, maybe even going back to childhood. Are you saying that this stuff actually gets in the way of performing as a leader, as an executive and doing business
0: the right way? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially those emotional experiences we have as children where we had no coping skills. And the person who was doing this or saying this to us was in a position of authority. We could not defy or react or retaliate or whatever. All we could do in that coping mechanism moment was to stuff it, Mm -hmm. deny it, bury it, And so what we bury alive stays alive. And so we wind up becoming the image of what we've adopted of ourselves from those years. And so to break free of those, to get to walk into that pain and to see the black and white event for just a black and white event and to realize it's the story that I wrote about what happened that becomes so limiting. And it's only when I unbury it, take it out, look at it, package it, reconcile myself to it and let it go which also includes a whole different chapter called forgiveness yeah. of others for yeah. your own sake <laughs> to clear it up. Do I become free to go pursue what I believe might be possible for myself?
1: Wow. There's so many different directions we can take this conversation. My goodness.
0: So- I'm so glad this podcast goes on for two full days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: let's play with a two-sided coin here. One side is success. The other side is failure. Okay. So what did you learn about what it takes to succeed as a leader watching these clients of yours? And what would you say on the flip side, gets you on this fast track to failing fast?
0: Yeah, I have to embrace failure as a part of the path towards success. That when I have quote unquote failed or suffered a setback, only then do I become humble to open up to see what I could have learned from that in order to grow to improve my percentage chances of success the next day. It's so easily relatable when you look at a sales individual who makes 20 calls, 20 sales calls and gets 19 no's. It's the lessons that we learn from the 19 no's that help us improve our closing ratio going forward. And so most of us look at failure as a bad thing because, oh, it takes a hit to my self-esteem. I didn't make the promotion. I didn't make the money or whatever. We have an opportunity to look at failure as the learning tools necessary in order to create success. After working with 500 different CEOs at 500 different companies, if you knew the background stories of what it was like to get to success, You would see it was rift, full of failures, full of quote unquote setbacks that got them to where they are. I haven't come across a company yet that had a smooth, easy path to massive success.
1: Yeah. So basically, what you're saying is there is really no magic success formula here because success comes from failure. So really, failure is is the foundation for your success because you have to fail and fail over and over again like Thomas Edison did, (laughs) to be able to finally get the light bulb right on. Well, there's
0: there's a little bit of a different angle on this. There is kind of a secret sauce to massive success, and it is super heightened levels of personal passion. When you have super heightened levels of personal passion, the setbacks and the failures that I learned from do not take me out of the game. In the book, I go over the fact that I studied human nature for 40, 50 years been looking at what is the common denominator of massive success. And the thing that was startling to me as I looked at it years and years ago was people like uh, Bill Gates of Microsoft, uh, Larry Ellison of Oracle, Steve Jobs of Apple Computer, Michael Dell of Dell Computer. And I looked, I go, these guys at some point in time, way back then, were really captains of industry and very, very successful. What is the common denominator that exists between each of them? Because their personalities are so different. And the one startling thing that came to my mind immediately was, they all dropped out of college. Mm. Now, it's, it cannot be that a lack of college education ensures success. No, higher education is fantastic, but it wasn't the cause of their success. It wasn't the, what they knew, it wasn't their intellect. And so, as I looked at them and I began to coach clients who directly reported to Bill Gates, Larry Ellison, Steve Jobs, Michael Dell, and I said, You work for them. What was standing out about them? And I, I stumbled across this passion thing. And I said, on a scale of one to 10, one being low, 10 being high, what was their personal level of passion when they were building out their businesses? And every one of my clients who worked directly for these captains said, oh, that's easy at 11 or 12. And I said, I gave you a scale of one to 10. And they say, yeah, they're, pa- they're maniacs on them. They gave them the resolve and the commitment and the persistence to let failure float off their back, like water off a duck's back.
1: Mm -hmm. Dan, you um, have, I should have started this, uh, this episode really with this unique story that you have at the beginning of the book. So I'm going to, I'm going to just drop this right in the middle of our conversation right now. And so take us back. It's 1997. You just started your coaching practice and uh, I think you went to um, a fairgrounds, I believe, and you had an encounter with someone famous. I'm not going to give away the punchline. You attribute that to as a, really a, a defining moment, I think, in your life in how you conducted your business and how that moment then led to a wild, the wild success of your coaching practice. I want to tackle that with you, but we're going to do that after a quick break. Dan and I will be right back. Hey leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now. And I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, Marcelschwantes.com, and click on virtual training. We're back. Dan, so tell us about that story of the famous person you met and how that changed everything for your coaching business.
0: Oh, man. Yes, it was a defining moment in my, in my career, in my life. There's a man that I had been tracking and following and reading his books. His name was Dr. Leo Buscaglia. And he was a USC professor. And he had written books. And he was on all the talk shows, you know, back in the Late '70s, '80s, and I just tracked him and followed him. I just was totally enamored by him. And uh, he wrote a book. He had five best-selling books on the New York Times best-selling list at the same time. He was just really kind of a, a rock star. And he he actually had a class at USC that he was teaching. And one of the the young women sitting in the front row, he would look at her and smile, and there was a sparkle in her eye, and he looked forward to seeing her. Didn't know her, didn't, you know, one-on-one conversation with her or whatever. But one day she was absent. Next day she was absent from the class. And the next day, and he did some inquiry about where she is or what happened. And he found that she had gone back to her dorm and committed suicide. And it just tore him up. It's like, how could that happen on my watch? An individual within 10 feet proximity of me, that that could go on never again. So he approached the university and said, I'd like to start a new class called Love 101. And they said, what's that about? And he told them, and they said, you realize that that's going to be a non-credited course. And at USC, the tuition for USC, a non-credited course, no one's going to subscribe to it. You're not going to have any attendance. He said, that's okay. I still want to do it anyway. And as I remember reading the statistics, his class, Love 101, was oversubscribed for four years. So anyway, he's, I, he, I recognize him in the back of his book. I've seen his picture, and I saw him on TV. And I'm walking around this outdoor festival in, in uh, South Shore Lake Tahoe one Saturday afternoon, And I looked up and I noticed, that's Dr. Leo Buscaglia. He was nicknamed Dr. Love at USC. And so I have to meet him. And so I walk over and I'm about six or eight feet away from him. And I said, Dr. Buscaglia. And he turns around and he looks at me and gives me eye contact and then moves toward me as I move toward him. And I have my right hand out to to shake his hand as I greet him or whatever. And as he grabs my right hand to shake my hand, he pulls me in and he gives me a hug. Now, I'm talking about the father greeting a son who's coming back from the war, you know, three years kind of a hug. You know, the full embrace, body contact, arms all the way around me, pulled in tight as he lowered his head and tucked it into the crook of my neck and held me for a moment. An appropriate moment, not inappropriate moment, an appropriate moment. And as we pulled back, his, his two hands slid down my, my arms to my elbows and he gently held on. And he looked me in the eye and he said the most crazy thing in the world. He looked me in the eye and he said, Dan, it is so great to finally meet you. I'm a nobody. And he meant it. He meant it. And in that moment, I just melted. And he asked me, what are you doing for a living? What do you do? And I told him I just opened up an executive coaching practice and then. And, you know, I had three, three clients or whatever. And he said, how's that going? And I said, oh, Dr. Buscalia, yeah. I said, it's, it's kind of tough sometimes because they hire me and they bring me in and I, and I ask them what's going on. And they tell me about a challenge or an issue that they're having. And I'll say, oh, have you thought of it this way? Have you looked at what's going on behind the scenes in their lives? And what if you do this instead? And often they'll come back and respond with something that sounds like, well, Dan, I hear what you're saying, but I would argue the money that we're paying that vice president, they ought to get over it, blah, 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 blah. And so they're not receiving my coaching and it makes me scratch my head. And I I kind of think, you know, why did you, Mr. CEO, I don't say this out loud, but why did you buy a dog and then stand in the yard and bark yourself? i You're asking me about my advice and I'm giving it to you and you're not receiving it. Like, this is tough. And Dr. Buscaya shook his head slowly left to right. and He goes, oh yeah, yeah. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And he pulled me in close and he looked me in the eye and said, Dan, you first have to show them the need. And I went, you know, I want to be grasshopper for the sensei master here. And I don't want to pretend that I don't know what that means. So I just nod my head and go, oh, yes, thank you. Thank you. And as I'm driving three and a half hours back to Silicon Valley after I leave, I'm repeating over and over in my head as fast as I can. Dan, you first have to show them the need. What does that mean? What does that mean, Dan? They're all different. You know, they don't have a common need, right? You know, they're different people. What could that be? And I finally got to two hours of this and I finally just let it go. And, and I just go, forget it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go through one word at a time. Dan, you first. Okay, before anything else. Have to. Okay, it's not an option. Show, show, not tell, not teach, but show. I have to model this in my life in order for them to get it. Them the need. What is the need? What could the need, the common need, be in all of them? Some are really successful. Some are not. What's their common need? And I couldn't come up with the answer. And I finally just dropped it. And as I as I dropped it, I reflected immediately back to the hug, the, the hug that changed my life, and what he said to me about afterward. About it, it's so great to finally meet you. And as I reflected back on that, my heart was just warmed again. And I found myself saying, "Man, I needed that." I use the word need. I needed that. Oh, I needed to be loved and accepted and appreciated and matter to somebody in that moment. I needed that. And that's exactly what he gave me. And that's exactly what my clients all need is to know that they are loved and cared for and they matter to me and that I love them and that I respect them. They need that affirmation to fill some hole in their, their soul. And so from that moment forward, instead of walking in and sitting down with the client and saying, Hey, it's really good to see you again. How are you doing? What's going on? Let's dive into it. I know your time is valuable and I don't want to you know, take advantage of that. What's going on. Instead of doing that kind of a process, I would walk in and sit down with a new client and say, Marcel, it is so great to be with you again. How are you? I so have such an honor to be able to be in front of you today. I want to make this really valuable. How have you been? What feelings have you been feeling? I'm showing them that they matter as a human being. I'm not just here to do the work. I'm here to be with them in a powerful way to where they get it that they matter. And I went from three clients within a year and a half to 31 CEOs I was coaching. Just exploded. They're all craving to matter to someone. To be able to open up and vulnerably trust that they could share what's going on in their heart and their lives, not having to put on a facade and make it look like I'm doing good to my coach. They could be anyone. It changed my friendships, relationships, coaching environment, and everything when I was able to get off of me and focus on you completely.
1: We could end the episode right here, right now. And I mean, this is. It's almost like the end of a sermon right there, and you just did a mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm astounded by that story. I have, at times, felt the same way with my clients, that for them to release themselves and to be open and vulnerable with me, I had to set the stage and metaphorically hug them with a full embrace, if that makes sense. Enough t- for them to, to feel safe to have those real, honest, open conversations. Because you and I know coaching is co- coaching, coaching sessions, man, you it's it can be it can get raw and you go right to the core of the issue. And there are some really, really sensitive spots there that you know, like you said, that people may be hanging on to for years. They haven't dealt
0: with it. Yep. But to get to that point, Dan, I found that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And if I can be open, risking, and vulnerable myself, it becomes contagious. And they find themselves saying things that are really at the root of it that they haven't looked at for a long time themselves. We get to tackle the real stuff that they're surprised that they came out of their own mouth because it was a trusting, loving environment. And now we get to the real meat of the issues.
1: It was an unconditional act on your end, basically. An unconditional (laughs) act of love, really, loving us. So let's make this practical for our our listeners. How do we go about doing just that, kind of opening ourselves up, being vulnerable, and choosing to love others that radically you know, especially those of us that are in the helping professions, maybe we have clients, you know, but also it, it could be just, you know, leader, a boss to an employee or a peer to peer, right? So how do we do all that even before we met them or even, bef- even before we don't, don't really know who they are. Some oh, people are, may say,
0: that's just nuts. Yeah. I'm not going to open myself up to that. Oh, that's a good question. That's a great question. I need to love my client before I speak to them or meet them. And the way I do that is I picture them at seven years old or six years old. And I know that they probably were full of passion, wanting to go out and run through the sprinkler, or they wanted to wake up and be loved by their parents, that they wanted to be invited to the neighbor's birthday party, that they wanted to be friends. They wanted to do right. They wanted to do good. They didn't have any bitterness in their hearts to where they wanted to get revenge or or retaliation on anyone, they're innocent. And so I picture every client at that age. And I know the foundation of who they are as a human being is exactly like that. The most important thing that I do is I say, I know them because I know how they felt. To make this real, Marcel, have you ever been disappointed in your life? (laughs) Many times. Okay, yeah, so I have too. And I know what that feels like. Have you ever been betrayed by someone close to you? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. And I know the sting of that, the unbelief of how could they do that? I thought we were friends. Have you ever had a victory in your life to where at the end of it, you get in the car and you pound on the steering wheel and you yell, yes, yes, you had a victory. Have you ever had that?
1: Absolutely. Many of those.
0: I know exactly what that feels like. You see? I know every emotion that you felt, I relate to it because I felt those same emotions. I just don't know the story that caused each one of them in your life. That because I know all the feelings you felt and I know the root of who you are as a seven-year-old child still exists inside of you today. I know you cold and it gives me compassion for you before we meet. Mm -hmm. Now I'm dying to get into a relationship, to hear the stories which caused the feelings. Mm. Now, with regard to how do I apply this? How do I apply this to the work environment? What if you go by Barbara's cubicle as the boss and you stick your head in and you've been thinking about her for three or four minutes about something you appreciate about her? The fact she's always on time, the fact that she finishes her work well, the fact that she tends to be authentic and honest or something. There's something about Barbara that you appreciate. And as the boss, you swing by, stick your head in the cubicle and you say, hey, I just wanted to take a moment and tell you how much I appreciate this aspect of you. You're the most risky and honest and vulnerable person on my team. I thank you for being a part of us. It's an honor to work with you. Okay. Maybe I go to a peer and I say, hey, Bill, I wanted to take a moment and thank you that whenever I proposed my idea and Other people were trying to shoot it down that that you came to my defense. It just warmed my heart. Thank you for that. I can show my love in a practical way all day long. I can even go to my boss and I can say, you know, there've been times in my life where I was uncertain about what I was going to do or whatever, but you always had my back and, and tried to build me up and support me. And I just, I really appreciate that about you. Thank you. And walk away. I'm not looking for him to go, oh, you're a good employee. No problem at all, blah, 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 blah. Because that would be an agenda called, I want to go save this so I get something back. Love is unconditional. It seeks nothing in return.
1: Wow. Dan, I want to quote you from the book that probably um, links to what we've been saying up to this point. Okay, here we go. This is from Dan's book. I forget what page. Success is a place we come from, not a place we get to. When we come from an authentic, loving place in our hearts, and because we are free from the anchor of past emotional wounds and resentments, we are a magnet to all people.
0: You want to expand on that? Yeah. No, it's so true. Most everyone out there is suffering from the stuffed emotional wounds of their life. They don't know what to do with it if they were to drag it out and look at it. They don't know how to reconcile themselves to it, how to heal and let it go, so they keep it buried. And because of that, there's like a hole in their heart that they want to have filled. And that is with human connection, relationships, to matter, and to be appreciated. We all want that. And so for us to come and give that to them, they go, I want more of that. I mean, I can't remember the name of the book now, but years and years and years ago, a book about relationships. And they said, when you go to a party, ask questions, make sure they talk 80% of the time and you talk 20% of the time. And every one of them will say, what a great conversationalist that guy is, because you focus on them.
1: Yeah. Dan, of all the thousands of leaders that you've coached, is there one human story that really sticks out to you and it really floats to the top that you're willing to share with an executive?
0: Yeah, there's lots, but you know, I I haven't been thinking about this, but the one that pops to my mind right now is a CEO who was building a company, 35 employees, and had a desire. And I I work with him to become successful as a company. And they had, I said, you know, what would the dream look like if you were super successful going forward in the future? I want you to paint a picture for me so that it becomes real to you, so that your passion expands. And he shared with me that when he was growing up, that his parents were, I believe they were alcoholic and paid no attention to him. And his older sister basically raised him and how grateful he was for her. And after he began to picture what an IPO would look like and that how he might guess that he could earn $10 million for himself or $50 million for himself. I go on to, to put more detail to the vision. And I say, tell me what that would mean to you as if we were standing there today and it was already done. What would you do? How would you celebrate? And he shared with me a story about how he had a desire to go out to, I don't remember the state, you know, Utah or whatever, and pay off his older sister's house because she had been Married with three children, and the husband had left. And she's working two jobs as a waiter, as a, you know, a, I mean, a waitress and a bartender or whatever to support the family. And I want to go pay off her house. And so I said, That's great. Now picture what she would look like. Picture what, what it would feel like to be there. I want you to live out that experience of success as if it were already done. Well, the dot com crash happened, and the IPOs were put off for two or three years. And I followed up, and it was with him, and he did achieve an initial public offering, an IPO, and did get the wealth. And I, I came to him, and I remembered her name, and I said, so how did it go with, and I, I said her name, and he smiled, and he goes, I flew out there, I went to the bank, and I found out, that they, they found out what I was trying to do. I paid off her house, and I had the grant deed, not the trustee, but the grant deed in my coat. And I went to her house, and I told her I was coming, and she ran out like she always did, across the front lawn to greet me and hug me on the lawn. And I pulled the paper out of my pocket and I handed it to her. And she opened it up and didn't grasp what it meant. And I had to tell her. And I said, by the way, you've told me that you've always wanted to go to school to become a nurse. I want you to know that not only is the house paid off, but I've also set up a, a trust fund account for you because I've been so blessed. I just want to share it with you because you were so instrumental in basically raising me. And I love you so much for that you're going to be receiving, you know, I forget what it was, $5,000 a month or $10,000 a month for the rest of your life. And so I encourage you to go ahead and quit your jobs and enroll in the school to become a nurse, thing or whatever. And he said tears welled up in her eyes and she gripped me and hugged me and her knees began to buckle and couldn't support her and she slid down my torso with her knees on the grass and began to cry. And the profound nature of seeing that massive business success is used to make a powerful, positive difference in other people's lives is the holy grail. 99% of the time when I meet with a client and I go through this power daydreaming thing about building your passion, it's never about I would want to buy a Ferrari. It's always about I would move my parents from the Ukraine to be close to me. I would, fund my brother's dream to build his business out. I would do this for my children or whatever. It's always about someone else when they tell me the story. And it's so fantastic to be able to be with them through that success and to hear the actual story, which mimics the dream they told me about, you know, a few years earlier. But that one guy about the sister just rocked me.
1: That's a great story. Dan, I want to make the link, I know you and I, we are basically two peas in a pod when it comes to the the topic of love. So I want to make the link between leadership and practical love and care, love in this case being a verb, an action verb, not a feeling that is going to create value, engage people's hearts and minds and lead to high performance. So how does a leader love well day in and
0: day out? The leader first recognizes that a position of leadership is not a position of privilege anymore. It's not the 1960s. We don't have the president or the CEO's name stenciled on the curb out front with his parking spot. We don't have executive washrooms just for the executive teams. We don't have two martini lunches with other CEOs on Friday. It's not a position of privilege. Leadership is a position of service and the higher up you go in the organization, the more people you are in service to. Your life is not about you. It's about them coming together, unifying, speaking the truth, trusting each other, working as a team, making commitments to bold goals together because they feel it's safe to do so because if they fail, at least they fail daring greatly. So it's not about you, Mr. CEO, Mr. Vice President. It's not about you. It's about them. What can we do? What conversation can we have to let you let go of the, the interest, the focus you have on you and have it be about them?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: when you show up and you support them and you say, let's do a brainstorming session. And I want to hear from everybody for five minutes. And no one is allowed to critique the other person's brainstorming idea. And I'm, after having listened to all of you, thank you. You've really helped me a lot. My decision is we're going to do this. And I know that it's scary and I know that some of you may feel like it's not your idea. There were times in my life, I'm gonna show vulnerability here, there are times in my life where I recall not winning the day, not winning the argument and having it not go my way. So I know exactly what that feels like, guys. I just love all of you for being on this team and I care greatly about each one of your successes. And I want you to come and share with me your obstacles and fears so that to get forward. So the attitude of a leader is an attitude of, I'm here for them, not for me. Did
1: you see a client in a high-profile position, perhaps an executive, go from a self-seeking, selfish, self-serving attitude or way of operating to a selfless more of a servant leadership. Did you see that switch?
0: Yeah, I've seen that several times. Mm -hmm. And this is the truth. Usually it takes a tragedy or a crisis for them to humble themselves, get off of it, and switch their focus on being there for the team. Usually when things are going really well, we're hitting all of our top line revenue numbers every quarter, quarter after quarter. It's easy to focus on me and let's build this team so we can all win and blah, 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 blah. Whenever a major client cancels an order and you have to do a 30-person riff, a reduction in force in the team, and it's causing problems at home in the marriage because I'm working 14 hours a day and my wife is complaining, I'm, I'm afraid she's even having an affair kind of a thing. That kind of humility that comes about enables people to go, I need to get off of myself and be there for this team because they're really suffering and all may be lost unless this team can come together. So I'm able to let, I'm able to let go of me, especially if we've been able to go through and clean up the emotional baggage of the past and reconcile ourselves to that, the need to focus on my pain and what I feel goes away. So I can now be free to focus on, on the team, but it usually requires some kind of a big setback in order for Strong people to come to that place of humility and get off themselves and focus on others, and it's necessary to have a very strong ego to be in a leadership position to believe in yourself. And so, strong egos come with the territory of being a leader. And so, it's necessary to get in the door, but it it doesn't serve you after you're there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about um, that four letter F word, not that one, because this is a PG show. Talking about fear and. Fear strips people of their ability to be creative and do great things, collaborate, et cetera, when they have to look over their shoulders. So why do you think fear and intimidation is still so prevalent in how people are managed rather than the principles we're talking about? Love, care, inclusion, empathy, respect, et cetera. I mean, the the data is out there. It's overwhelming. We have the evidence.
0: Fear, false evidence appearing real. It drives my show because I was hurt early on and my ego inside of me, by the way, is a separate entity from the real me. Do you ever talk to yourself driving down the road? Yes, lots of times. Okay, Okay. so if you're talking to yourself, then there has to be a speaker and a listener. There's two entities inside of you. The ego is the one who wants to use intellectual reasoning to keep you from ever suffering any pain. My job as an ego is to protect you from any pain. So whenever I talk to you as a leader and I say, hey, why don't we set a goal for something that's worthwhile? It's in an unknown future, it's, it brings up the ego's willingness to say, hey, look, why don't we just wait and see how it turns out? Why don't we just work really hard? Let's not commit to stretch goals. Let's not dream about a really brighter, better future. Because I, my job is to protect you from pain. The ego would be totally happy if we lived out our lives in quiet desperation, never stretching, never risking, but never suffering any pain. Don't ask that man or that woman to go out. What if they said, no, I'm okay you being alone. Even though it's suffering, it doesn't involve any risk. So fear is the, I believe that the ultimate battle in life is the battle between passion versus fear. And most people are ran by our subtle fear, not the sweaty palms fear, not the knot in the stomach fear, but the subconscious subtle fear of, well, I probably should go talk to that person, but no, that's okay because I don't know how they'll react. So our lives are driven usually by fear. And I find that if you focus on what you're afraid of, it only gets larger. If you were afraid of snakes, and I said, let's take a moment and picture a snake, visually picture a snake in the room and it's slithering before you. You might go, wow, I feel pain coming up. I mean, I feel fear coming up. And I said, wait, 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 you know, there's no snake. We're just working on the problem of fear. But when we focus on fear, it only gets larger. What we do is we focus on the opposite. We focus on passion. And when passion grows, we start saying, you know what? I want that so bad. I want that better relationship at home so bad. I want that new relationship with my kids so bad because I picture what it would look like and feel like. I want my direct reports to love me and want to follow me. I, I want to see the success occur for all of our sake. When I focus on my passion, fear tends to skulk over into the corner, into the shadows, and go away. It no longer runs my life. I never conquer or kill fear, but I can shove it into the corner where it isn't influencing my actions, words, and behaviors and attitudes during the course of the day.
1: It's been a fascinating conversation so far Dan and before we close out let's fill any holes that we missed cuz I don't want to go we're not going to go out here without missing something that really needs to be spoken out, out loud. So is there anything or any question that I should have asked but
0: didn't? Do you have 3 days? <laughs> no. No, it's good. No, this is the this is the the crux of it. Yes.
1: Well, unfortunately we got to bring this to our final last questions you know we might as well do this again and um, i'm gonna have to bring you back for part two but we end our episode with two questions our listeners love they're waiting for at the end they're anticipating it so we ask our guests to kind of get into their hearts at the end so here's the first question personally dan what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know something personal something that's Just uh, uh, something that you have recently discovered, or something that's touching you in a way that needs to be spoken?
0: What's really ripping my heart apart right now is what I see going on across the face of the planet, and especially across the face of America about division and making the other person the enemy because they don't believe in my ideology. The fact that it's causing so much suffering increased drug and alcohol use, broken marriages and lives, it just rips my heart apart that we can't see each other as human beings that we can love and still have conversations that differ, but still love one another. That what I feel is, is that we could crash and burn as a planet, as a country, unless we're able to to conquer that and come from love.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. And finally, you get to close us out your way with one final takeaway, that one thing
0: that we can take home with us. Get off myself. Really let it go. It's the oxymoron, the paradox of life. If I'm suffering and hurting right now, I'm going to want to naturally focus on me solving my pain, getting over it today feeling love. And when I focus on me and not on others, it never satisfies that pain. It only gets larger because I'm focusing on it. It gets larger. The paradox is, is that if I'm able to see maybe an element of brilliance in this concept, that if I discipline myself for a moment to get off of me and focus on you and say, how can I show up for you in this moment? What do you need? I care about you. And maybe that person goes, I'm not open, risking, and vulnerable. I'm not going to share that anything with you. But you know what? I'm moved by the fact that I truly see that you asked me and that you really cared. You can actually start helping people put a salve on their pain a bit. And after a day of opening the door for the for the little old lady or for anything, any small thing over a course of a day of getting off myself, getting off ourselves and being there for someone else, a day of that, we discover that that pain is subsiding and that my day was more full and that I'm more peaceful, happy, contented, fulfilled. And so do whatever it takes to get off of me and start focusing on you. And I wind up getting what I want always.
1: I knew this was going to be a deep and authentic conversation from the heart from our emails and our first conversation, but you have exceeded my expectations. Thank and uh, so I, I want to Thank you for blessing our audience. I know they got extreme value from our chat today,
0: so wish you the well, best. I, I, want you to, I want your audience to hear one last thing from me, and that is I know who they are because I know how they felt. And I truly mean this. I love you. I really do.
1: Dan, if people want to connect with you, and I know they will, where can it go? What's your website? Give your maybe a social media handle as well that they can
0: connect with. It's D-A-N-F-O-X-X at unlockyourleadership.com. They also, if they want to hear more, whatever they can, Amazon, put in D-A-N-F-O-X-X. The book comes up. If they go to YouTube and type in D-A-N-F-O-X-X, you can see a TED Talk that I gave in England five years ago and a couple of television show appearances that I did there. And I, I, I would love to hear from anyone. I'm not looking for new clients. I'm not looking for subscribers or to be paid. I just want to show up and give back. So reach out to me if there's anything I can say to make a difference in your life. I will put
1: Dan's contact info in my show notes, and you can find that on my website, MarcelSchwantes.com. Stick around for my three action steps, three things that I will personally recommend you start doing today based on the teachings of Dan Fox in this conversation, as well as his book. That's coming up next. hope you enjoyed that deep conversation with Dan Fox. You know, he left such a big impression on me that even now, a few days after I spoke with him, he's got me thinking about some of the things I need to change about my own thought process. So there were so many gold nuggets. It was, it was kind of hard to boil it down to three action steps that, you know, the kind of action steps that you can apply today. So I'm going to offer you these three. Try them, And let me know whether they're making a a change in how you lead or work. And you can hashtag Love in Action podcast and join the conversation. Action item number one, choose to love others even before you meet them. Remember the time Dan met Dr. Leo Buscaglia? Leo had never met Dan and he was completely unselfish when they met. I mean, he came from love and put the focus on Dan. And this instantly created a... Deep human connection between them. Now imagine doing the same for those people you haven't met. Because when you do and you you choose to step into a place of love for the person across from you, something powerful happens. Action item number two. Remember, failure leads to success, right? There will be ups and downs in your leadership journey. So next time you have a setback, roll with the punches because there will be valuable lessons in the bad times that will lead to success in the good times and finally action item number three it's really a no-brainer but how many of us actually do this when you discover that you've made a mistake or perhaps you burned a bridge or made the wrong decision when you knew you shouldn't have done it take responsibility but also take care of those you've harmed that's going to take courage i know but it's being accountable for your actions and in this way you'll protect yourself from further harm and nothing will come back to bite you in the you-know-what. My special thanks again to Dan Fox for joining us and giving us such inspiring wisdom. Join the conversation and comment with hashtag LoveInActionPodcast. I will be posting this episode on Twitter at Marcel Schwantes and you'll also find it on LinkedIn. Finally, if you or your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love in Action podcast, let's chat. Find me on my website, Marcelschwantes.com or on LinkedIn. All right. Try not to miss me too much during our break. We will be back in March. Until then, stay safe and we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading The Love in Action Movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.